welcome to Game Brain. I am your host, Matthew Robinson. This is round nine, extra turn. We are doing a uh, extra turn this round, which we often do, where we sort of go a little bit off format and uh, try something a little different. I am joined today by two wonderful humans. <laughs> I have with me today the uh, game designer and the opinionated gamer, Trey Alsup and Ben Mandelcore, respectively. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, what's going on? Hey, Maddie. This this um, is exciting. This is my first time being on the podcast with you, Matt. I'm like really excited about this. That's that's actually true. That's so weird. So that will um, kill all of the conspiracy theories online that uh-huh. we are in fact the same person. Mm. Um, we do have very similar taste in games, but we uh, we were Tom was going to record an episode of Jesse this week, but due to holiday issues, that episode was unable to be recorded via travel and et cetera, et cetera. So instead, I thought, you know what? I am sick of hearing these two people talk about this game. <laughs> I think we need to get them on the record professing their love for this game. So today we're going to be doing an early impressions review of the Kickstarter game, the 2021 release we are traveling to the future of the transcontinental. Um, before we get into the review of the episode, guys, just, just tell me a quick, uh, why are we reviewing this game today? Because it's really, really good. And I love championing new games where you can bring attention to something that you really like and just kind of grab other people and say, look at this, pay attention to this. I think there's something special here. Yeah, this one was a head turner. I mean, it was... The first play, well, Trey and I both played the first time. We're like, oh, my God. And it really feels like this is one of those unique situations where, where people should know about it. Um, you know, it, it's, it won't be coming out for a little while. It is on Kickstarter, but it is, it's just really good. And, and, and um, you know, sometimes the spotlight needs to be shown. We are recording this on November 28th, 2020. So if you're hearing this right now, you have uh, about 10 days left to back this game. If you are hearing this in the future uh, before it's released, you got a while to wait. Uh, but hopefully we'll get you hyped. And um, the good news is, uh, is that this is on Tabletop Simulator. And I imagine it's not going anywhere. And so while we don't love to review video games that you can only play on your computer, we will. that is the way this will be able to be played by you for free, that is until uh it comes out unless for some reason they pull it but there's ways to get around that if they try to pull it um but yeah i i have not played it i am basically here as a doula bringing this episode to life um i we're gonna go we're gonna sort of do our basic episode stuff uh all the news. I collect the news as the week goes on. Anytime I see something cool, I toss it into my game brain news sticky into your bassinet. So I'm I'm always ready to go. I've always got hot news for you. I've always got some game sommeliers. Uh, I've always got games on the brain. I could do that in my sleep. So we will have, you know, basically a full episode today. Sans the host segment. Uh, And instead, we're going to have a nice, juicy discussion of the game. I have read the rules of the Transcontinental. I have watched Rado's playthrough. I have uh, thoughts, and I am excited to hear it from people who have actually played it. Um, And hopefully, I will get to play it very soon. But you are in good hands with two people who have have, have played this well enough to give you their early impressions on it, which I think will be very interesting. how was everybody's Thanksgiving? Ben, do you want to want to tell us first, then we'll go to Trey. Um, it was great. It was super chill. I was I was just here in my my home with my boyfriend, just the two of us. I cooked way more food than the two of us really needed. But you know, I, you know, my one of my big passions outside of board gaming 
is actually cooking. I love to cook. So, you know, it was a, you know, it was a time for me to, to, you know, roll up my sleeves and make some sweet potato casserole and stuffing and try some different recipes. And, and I watched the Godfather part two, which I had never seen before. So it's so weird. <laughs> it, was, it was a weird, it was a weird twist. It was like the night went in, in a direction I wasn't planning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it just sort of happened. <laughs> that is a classic Thanksgiving movie. Yeah. It, you know what? Family. It's a movie about family <laughs> That's and what could happen if you do fa- Thanksgiving wrong. They do have some awkward family dinners in that movie, I think, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, just a few. It definitely ends with an awkward family dinner, for sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, on, the, on the water, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, nice, a nice family boat ride. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that was fantastic. Thanks for asking. Yeah, of course, Trey, how was your Thanksgiving? Uh, it was it's nice. It's just uh, me and Jenny and then a lot of different uh, Zoom calls. Yeah. But uh, this, I also um, I take Thanksgiving cooking very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, was able to try out a new brine. It's all about the brine when it comes to turkey. We ended up doing a really good buttermilk brine for 24 hours it's the one in the new york New York Times, semi nose rats yeah. one yeah mm-hmm. yeah it really worked like i'd been Wait. a i had been a fan of the alton brown brine that you know because the, the problem with turkey is that it can get dry and so yes. like you have to brine and i'd been suspicious of the buttermilk ones before um but jenny went and got two huge gigantic uh turkey breasts that ended up being perfect and so we're on day three of leftovers plus uh her prosciutto dressing um so like it we're still digging it so on day three of turkey so that's a good sign and then the the final we've like i think we have you know thanksgiving then two leftovers and then we're now to the fourth stage which is that jenny's going to make jook which is a i don't know what exact I think it may be Korean. Oh, that sounds or, Korean, yeah. Yeah, it's I think a, it is Korean. Of, of kind of a uh, of a like a rice stew mm-hmm. with the bones and meat that's left over from all of this with good fish sauce and other stuff that's just kind of like the homiest stay home, you know, winter, yeah, you know, delicious food uh, that's the final incarnation of Thanksgiving turkey. You know, as as long as you're mentioning recipes, I will say really quickly that um, the buttermilk turkey that Sami Nusrat uh, put in the in the Times is like a variation of her buttermilk roast chicken. And if people ever need a roast chicken recipe, that's dynamite and works every single time. Literally, it's that one. You can also look that one up. And um, the sweet potato casserole that I made was from uh, Tony Tipton Morris, who uh, she won the James Beard Award for the Jemima Code. And her follow-up cookbook is called uh, Jubilee. And it's a fantastic cookbook that was really about a lot the history of african-american cooking in the united states and the sweet potato casserole was dynamite so i could not recommend it highly enough yeah you're you're really making the show notes gonna be a lot of fun for me here <laughs> yeah ben. listen I, I, i'm <laughs> a, this is my talk. abbreviated version this is my abbreviated turkey talk version. was last week i know as i said week <laughs> two of turkey talk uh, turkey talk is great i'm into it um i uh i had a really nice thanksgiving we it was my oh yes matt how was your thanksgiving oh no it's fine i'll ask myself matt how you doing i'm all right buddy (laughs) get in there look i've been better uh it was really good uh it was my my family my wife and uh two children and my mom and then we had my wife's best friend and 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 my also very close friends now um 
her friends Kim and Ben and and Trey. You know, you know Ben. He's the other Ben. I've met Ben. Um, I've had barrage with Ben. In fact, oh, of course, you know Ben. You do know Ben, of course. And he's Jesse's friend, and that's how we know you. And Jesse is how I know Ben is how I know Jesse. So it all connects. Um, and they have had COVID. They have antibodies still, so they are like our superhero friends who we can hang out with without fear of catching anything. Um, and we had a really lovely Thanksgiving. Uh, the turkey was cooked by Gelson's. Uh, thank you, Gelson's. <laughs> and everything else was made by my wife and Kim, uh, and it was delicious. And then we had four pies. Yes. And that's all I care about. This is Thanksgiving to me is when I eat so much pie, I can't feel my feelings anymore. And oh, I nice. accomplished that goal. I put yeah. myself in a pie coma, and I've had apple pie for breakfast for the last three days, and that's the best thing in the world. And, and are you an apple pie guy? Is that <laughs> well for is breakfast? That your pie I have choice. It's a great breakfast. No, option, it's not actually. Way. But I think apple pie is the perfect breakfast pie. Yes, better than any other pie. I think it's it. It almost feels mm-hmm. like a breakfast food. Well, um, my, as someone who had some chocolate cheesecake yesterday for breakfast, <laughs> <laughs> I can say that there are, there's another option. We had we had very traditional pies. We had your pecan. We had your pumpkin. We had your apple. And then we had your, your chocolate cream. And then I made my own whipped cream as I, as I, that's my only thing I know how to cook in this world is whipped cream. And I do it by hand and my arms are numb by the end. But for some reason, it tastes better when you do it by hand or a mixer. I've tried them both. Tastes better by hand. Um, And yeah, I ate a lot of pie and it was really good. And my son, so my wife had been making apple pie all week and my son all week was like, give me apple pie, give me apple pie. And we were, he, he sounds like a jerk, but he's actually very kind. But, and we, and and we were like, we have to wait for Thanksgiving, but then you're going to have apple pie. And then we laid all four pies in front of him. And I said, which one do you want? He goes, apple pie. So I give him a big old slice of apple pie. He tastes... And then, and then he looks at it like I'm psychotic and then he points at the chocolate pie and he goes, apple pie. Uh-oh. He wanted the chocolate pie and he, he wouldn't try one bite of apple pie. And now for the rest of his life, he will call chocolate pie apple pie. Oh, dear. And that's really fun. That will lead to many confusing situations for him as a teenager. Exactly. <laughs> it's just like the whole week, all he wanted was apple pie. And then what he really meant in his head was chocolate pie. Right. Um, that was my Thanksgiving story. Shall we go to the news? Good evening, Mr. Mr. Nobles, South American. All the ships and clippers at sea. Let's go to press. Close. Mm-hmm. It's a holiday week, so it's a little light on news this week. Um, my normal, uh, my fishing nets that were cast out into the uh, to the news world came back with just some some little minnows, some little small fish this week. Uh, first up, though, Assassin's Creed Valhalla uh, is a video game that's out. It's a part of the Assassin's Creed uh, series. This time, it's Viking themed. And there is a dice game inside of the video game that you can play that they are now releasing as a physical version in 2021. It's called Valhalla Viking Dice, uh, and it will be available in 2021 um, through normal places. But I always like when video games that have games inside of them or even any fantasy book worlds, like like if you've got like the King Killer Chronicles, they've got Tack inside that was then not even a real game that ever had rules, but somebody like made up rules for it and released it as a board game. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Gwent. That was the card game that was inside of uh, the Witcher. What other things have Quidditch? Uh, Quidditch. Is Quidditch. There a Quidditch game coming out controversially. That's correct. A controversial miniature Quidditch game. Um, there's of course, uh, what's the star Wars card game called? 
Uh, oh, I always forget. Starts with an S. There's one in Battlestar Galactica too, right? Yeah, but I always like I always like fictional games where like the author puts like two seconds mm-hmm. of thought into it, and then somebody like parses that out into it's something. Game of entirely. Thrones has like Savas or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyway, it's something always interesting when the video game world collides with our little hobby. Um, what else do we have? Nemo's War, which is one of my favorite solo games. It is a solo-only board game based on 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Um, they've released the uh, final... Uh, well, not released. They've put the final uh, expansion for it on Kickstarter now. There was already a couple little mini expansions that sort of just add some stuff. But this is a big box expansion. It's like a $40, $30 expansion comes with a whole ton of new stuff but it's also a game that's pretty hard to find usually they do small print runs and they they sell out pretty quickly so uh you can get the entire game reprinted with all the expansions with some fancy new stretch goals thrown in um and when you hear that uh hear this there's also about 10 days left same as transcontinental so if you are into nemo's war which i am it was an instant back for me because i love the game and um they do small print runs of anything. So if you want it, you better, better get it now. Cause those expansions even sell out quickly too. Um, so yeah, it's, it, there's not really um, a huge massive change to the game. It's just sort of more. And uh, if you know the game, you know that motives basically every time they release a new motive, it's like an entirely new game. It's almost like a new map in age of steam or something. Cause the motive changes the entire strategy of the game. So we're getting two new motives here, one called piracy, one called world order. Um, and if you know the game, you can probably imagine what those are about. Uh, but yeah, anyway, always love Nemo's war. Have either of you played Nemo's war? I know you, neither I, of you are huge solo gamers. I, I haven't. Um, I'm intrigued by it. It looks beautiful. Um, it's like, with solo gaming, it's weird. I, I will solo game once in a while. Um, and it's strange to me because I play video games. That's a solo experience usually. I mean, I don't really play online that much. Um, and I'm not opposed to the idea of solo gaming. But I find it to be an odd experience where I am like... Um, it oddly enough par- parallels the way I cook. Speaking of cooking, like when I follow a recipe... I go back and look at that cookbook recipe like five times to verify that it said one teaspoon of salt. And it's like this kind of herky-jerky experience. And yeah. that kind of happens to me with solo gaming where I say, okay, I'm going to do this. Now let me double check. Is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? And it sort of feels like a weird, um, unengaging process for me. Although I, I I did have a really fun time playing Terraforming Mars solo, actually. Uh, but I haven't really... I haven't really you know, really throwing myself into it, but I, I probably should. I probably should. To me, Nemo's War is like the one that everyone should try because it's, it, 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 it can't, it, it's a game that has to be solo. Like it's, and it's really, really immersive and the turns are really, it has that like just one more turn, just one more turn, sort of like civilization addiction level to it where you just want to keep trying. Yeah. Um, and the storyline's really good. Like you're always interested in seeing what the next card is. And, and it's just, it's really fun. At some point, you, you, both of you should borrow it at some point. Just okay. like throw it on the table and play it. Because it's not wildly complicated, but it, it's really, I don't know. It, 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 no other solo game has that sort of like, oh, this is a different experience than just playing a by myself version of a board game. Is there a mod, do we know, on TTS? 100%. Okay. Absolutely. I, try I think there. there's even one on table. I think it's on a couple of the different formats. Okay. Yeah. I find like when I play a game solo now, it's almost always in the service of like prepping for an actual game with other people. 
Like if I'm I, like, you know, I played through the ages a bunch solo because I was going to play it multiplayer with our group. You know, like I played Game of Thrones board game this week in preparation for playing with other people that I know, you know, online on a Twitch stream. So it, it just it seems to operate a different space where like I view single player games almost as like tutorials or practice training. Yeah. And because I don't really have the um whatever it is that gets you through the game when I'm playing it by myself, I just tend to not finish stuff. Like it yeah. doesn't feel like it has any consequence. You know, maybe this is a Paul question, but if like there's not somebody there that I'm playing against, it's less interesting to me now. Totally. Yeah. Well I'd be curious to see if, if Nemo's War changes that for you because it, it it's really sort of the story that hooks you. It's it, it gives you that feeling of an interactive novel in a sense. But where but like for me, it, it has to be an interactive novel where the mechanics are also addictive, mm-hmm. um, and it sort it sort of does both well. I I both of you would be very curious to see what you think. Um, next up, Cephalo Fair is a company you may have heard of. It is Isaac Childress's company, and Isaac Childress, of course, is the designer of Gloomhaven. They have launched after a long awaited. Uh, promises to launch it for months and months and years and years. They finally launched their store. The Cephalo Fair shop is open. If you go to cephalofair.com, you can buy Gloomhaven t-shirts and pints and stickers and artwork and pins. And now all of the, if you want a, uh, a, a mug for your ale that has your class's symbol on it, they have every single class in Gloomhaven as a separate cup or pin or t-shirt <laughs> and you can totally uh, go as big as you want in your Gloomhaven uh, fandom. Um, so I know a lot of people have been waiting for that. They have some really cool shirts and mugs and cups and pins and all the kind of stuff that you could possibly imagine. And of course you can buy Gloomhaven, which is available. Jaws of the Lion is currently sold out on their website as I believe it is sold out most places, but um, Gloomhaven ain't. And uh, eventually, I'm sure they're going to put uh, the next expansion up there or the next big box, the, whatever, the Frozen one that's coming out next yeah. year. With Elsa and Anna. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let it go, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> um, disappointing news for me, but also kind of happy news for me as well. Carnegie is a board game that I am extremely mm-hmm. excited for uh, from one of the designers of my favorite game of all time, Twa, Xavier George, with art by Ian O'Toole, was supposed to come out on on Kickstarter uh, on Black Friday and has been pushed a couple of weeks. But what wasn't pushed was the release of the TTS mod for it, which came out on Black Friday and ain't going anywhere. It is currently the only way to get the rules as well, as that file is not, as far as I know, available anywhere. You can read the rules on the TTS app for free. You can play the game. It's apparently a really nicely done app as well. Um, I think uh, our co-host uh, Eric Elder for letting me know about this because he he spotted it showing up on there with you know no fanfare anywhere, but it was meant to coincide with the release of the Kickstarter and it's there anyway. I'm really excited to try it. This is a, a heavy, you know, from the designer himself, a 4.0 weighted hardcore Euro from Xavier Georges and uh, artist Ian O'Toole. And like, that's all you need to say for me. Yep. So what are, what are we doing backing. in this game? Are we captains of industry in Carnegie? Uh, it was inspired by the life of Andrew Carnegie, the game itself. Um, 
And during the game, you will recruit and manage employees, expand your business, invest in real estate, produce and sell goods, and create transport chains across the United States. Uh, You may even work with important personalities of the era. Perhaps you will become an illustrious benefactor who contributes to the greatness. I think you're LARPing Carnegie. Different. (laughs) We're all trying to LARP him better. Um, This is a uh, action retrieval, area movement, connection game, apparently. Uh, this looks like a little bit of pick up and deliver a little bit of uh, it, it's I feel like Xavier George's games always sort of defy um, the normal, like this is a worker placement game, um, especially like things like Twa a little bit, or at least when Twa came out, there wasn't a lot of dice placement games at the time. Um, sounds like my love beautiful language. Board. Yeah. This definitely looks like a heavy economic mm. route building game with, Absolutely gorgeous uh, Art Nouveau style art. I need it. I'm very curious to check this one out because this does hit a flag for me in terms of like, like, did we run out of human beings to make games about here? Mm, Because Carnegie is not, I don't know. It's interesting to me that this is a game that's not made by an American because I definitely have feelings about Carnegie. And I think probably a lot of people who know the history behind his impact on the United States may not view him so heroically in terms of making games about this white dude (laughs) yeah and i'm also willing to have a side bet with you on the pronunciation here yeah yeah i i don't know i actually don't know (laughs) because i why is it carnegie and i said carnegie yeah well i I just know it from carnegie hall yeah and i think that's how people say it but his actual name is carnegie i think i think i edited a some show for a history channel once that had him in it. Right, so that's right, the only right. reason I feel confident in thinking that it's Carnegie, but I'll bow to you on that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, um, I'm just hopeful that there's, I, I, I will say that it looks amazing. It's, it's totally speaking my love language. I want everything about it. Um, I am a little worried because I don't know much about Carnegie, uh, Carnegie. I, I literally know nothing. I, I have, there's just something scary about, um, <laughs> these days when we like, um, when we, would be uh, get excited about, like you said, like an old white dude from a certain period of time who probably did some terrible things. <laughs> yeah. But the description here is Carnegie was also a benefactor and a philanthropist. And upon his death mm. in 1919, more than 350 million of his wealth was bequeathed to various foundations. So I just. But let, let's also remember that often these designers have themes foisted upon them by the publisher. So who knows if it, we'll I mean, see. and Xavier, Xavier is a, a Belgian. So who knows if, if it's his passion for Carnegie or Queen Ed games who published it, who thought it somehow would sell better. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But um, we'll see. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. You know me. I'm excited regardless. <laughs> Don't yeah. stop me from judging prematurely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I will not. Absolutely. Um, let's get on to games on the brain. Surprise, surprise. It's the OG version. Games. Games on the brain. These are games we like to play. These are games stuck on our brains. Oh, baby. Every once in a while, we'll bring it back. Especially oh, that was really ear splitting. So I, <laughs> you're welcome, everybody. Uh, ben, why don't you start us off here? What games are on your brain lately? Um, well, I'm just going to wrap up, wrap together my games in the brain with my game night situation here. Um, because I, are we doing? I don't know. If oh, we're we doing skipped game night. We skipped. Fire me. That's fine. Fire That's fine. Fire fine. Together. Fire fine. Fine. We'll fold it's them together. Okay. Fold them together. We're going to fold a nice fold big together. fold of the bat. I'm going to be like Matt with the whipped cream. Oh God. There we go. All right, just uh, just just yeah. a little bit of okay. it, just, just for the little, people out there, there who'll be really snack. upset. No, I've got my whisk. I'm making my own whipped cream here of game night and game brain. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I will start. Maybe they with, should be the same. 
<laughs> well, I mean, that's that's well, the thing is, there's a lot of crossover in general. I think it's nice to have. Well, just it's fine. So, um, uh, on the brain, Merv, the Silk Road. Um, this is this is a game that's been on my brain sort of casually for the past several months. I subscribed a long time ago on Board Game Geek, and it's the same designer as Kalimala, which is a really fun game, um, and also Ragusa, which I haven't played. And and this designer seems to really like. Uh, designs where whatever action you do, everyone around the table seems to get something. So everyone's always sort of getting things. And uh, I was sort of on the fence about it. And then I watched uh, Rado's run through and I was like, oh, yeah, I think this is definitely a game for me. So uh, I've pre ordered it. problematic for you. Rado costs you a lot of he money. He costs me a lot of money. And so, by the way, and, and so does this podcast. Okay. <laughs> I, I got hyped up by so many things from this podcast. This uh, is also striking Ian O'Toole artwork, just like Carnegie. Yes. I actually think it's it's a slightly busy. It's a little hard to look at, at least on on a video screen. It's maybe bright in person. colors, bright yes. colors. Yeah, I think in person it probably really pops. Um, so that's like something that's like very much on my brain. Um, I'm also like my brain is starting to fire up a little bit for the Twilight Imperium Four expansion, Prophecy of the Kings or whatever. Or Prophecy really? Of the King. Yeah, I like Twilight Imperium quite a bit. I I really I only, I'm late to it, but Twilight Imperium Four I think is 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 great fun. Uh, and I know Tom does not like it at, at all. Um, I he also hasn't fun. played Twilight Imperium Four. Let's be fair. Yeah, he has not. Let's let's let the record state that. But uh, either way, uh, I'm just excited for it. So you know, so that way down the line, when we can see people again, I I can have a full on Twilight Imperium day. And then, well, if there's anyone in our group who would want to play that game, it is probably me. So um, oh, good. Let me know if you do. That. I was. I was afraid I was the lone voice who liked Twilight Imperium on this podcast, which is sort of weird. I never thought I would be. That I've never person. played it. I've never played any iteration what? of it, so I, I would happily give it a whirl. Oh wow! Okay, well, it's it's it's. I think it's super fun. Yeah, we'll, do, we'll do it, especially if there's a new a new edition. Yeah, the I play. I actually played the third edition and and the fourth edition. The fourth edition really addresses a lot of the issues that people who are diehards of the third really felt. Apparently, um, it's just fun. It's a fun time, and um, and. And it's it's tech tree goodness, you know. It's like super tech tree. Um, uh, and then uh, for Black Friday, I uh, I saw Inhabit the Earth for twenty dollars, and I was like, I'm gonna do it. This is a game that sat in my Amazon cart for about five years. <laughs> I was I don't like, even know what that is? It's it's a game by Richard Brees who did Keyflower, and it's basically like animals. Which one's gonna survive? Um, like who, like we've got all these animals and we've got the planet and they're going, you can make them migrate and populate. And it's like one of those kind of games, sure, sure. um, but it's like kind of a, also a race game and it's just sort of been sitting there for so long. And I was like, you know what? $20, Ben, you can do this. It's allowed. So I did that. And, um, and then the last thing that's on my brain, which was my game night for last night, um, was that I got to play another session of tragedy looper. Uh, which I think I bring up every now and then on this podcast. And that is such an amazing game. It is so, so good. So interesting. It is, it is undermined by its terrible graphic design and some, some sort of uh, ambiguous uh, rules, but like overall, it's kind of an absolutely brilliant game. There's nothing else like it. It is just fantastic. It's just such a great player experience and uh, God, I love it. And I, I don't know if you, have you guys played it? I haven't. I've seen it on Tom's table and asked to have it brought out a few times, but it never made it to the table. I would be truly happy to teach it to you guys. Um, it's like a, it's like a deduction game. It's almost like playing. Um, it's almost like playing Werewolf, 
but all the pe- all the people with the hidden roles aren't the players. It's the NPCs, and that the players are trying to figure out which NPCs have secret roles. It's like time stories. It's just it's it's really defies explanation. But um, if but ultimately it is a deduction game, and so if people are interested in deduction, like do yourself a favor and go down like a tragedy looper you know, deep dive, uh, on the internet and, um, uh, and explore it a little bit. And it's, it's, it's just, it's so fun. It's so fun and tense. Yeah. There it is. I'll That's what's my, my brain and game night. Trey, what have you played this week and what's on your brain? Played a little, uh, game of Thrones board game. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, like came out on steam, I think yeah, with a couple of weeks months ago. ago. And I don't think a lot of people have noticed it yet, but I did a, um, some friends of mine from the Game of Thrones LCG community, uh, Roy Rogers is doing a, a, a tournament this weekend. He does a, a fundraiser on Friday, which is a Twitch stream with a Game of Thrones board game and Among Us and some other stuff going on. So we had a nice six-player game of a Game of Thrones board game. And I think people should check it out. It's a it's a good fit for COVID right now. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty good game. It's a big game um but i think that like one of the good things about the online implementation is that it speeds everything up so like yeah. we, we got the if, whole game in in three and a half hours and this is typically one of those like sped up wow. saturday games you know where you know you're going to come in and spend six or seven hours playing something like diplomacy or civilization or or twilight imperium for that matter um and so like in the time of covid getting on discord and playing with five other friends through uh, through the Steam version is is a good idea. Would you recommend it? I mean, do you think we think we would our group would play it, or at least you and I? Yeah, I mean, it? it's kind of an older game now, where you know you're probably not going to play it where you go off and you talk and you know you know away from the table. Like if you've played Diplomacy, yeah. which Game of Thrones is clearly influenced by, but this is kind of a faster version of it i mean we as euro gamers kind of stray from the uh dudes on a map where i go and knock you out kind of game and it's hard to actually knock somebody out but it is possible that you know it's one of these games where there's six different factions that are vying for seven fortresses and so there's a certain amount of as somebody gets close everybody else gangs up on them to keep them from the win type of thing and that's not really what we do with a lot of the games that we play but as kind of a older school throwback it's pretty solid well it it's sort of version 1.0 of a of a game that ben and i really like a lot which i'm utterly blanking on the name ben what's the what's the space the 40k space game that we love forbidden stars yep so yeah it is 1.0 of forbidden stars which is and it uses that great mechanic of placing these face down action tokens on the board which is from and starcraft apparently Okay, so it went from StarCraft to Game of Thrones to 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 uh, the game I've blanked on the name again. Wow, Forbidden Stars. Forbidden Stars. Forbidden Stars. Not a not but a for, memorable Forbidden name. Forbidden Stars is four though, right? Uh, yes, four, like, Game of Thrones. A major difference between something like a, a four player game and a six player game. Like, I do think this is closer to the like Twilight Imperium. Are um, now now I'm the one blanking games. The, what's the uh, one that we like? The Eclipse. Like yeah. it's in the same category as like Eclipse type of thing. Whereas, but you actually have like more control other over other people. I think in Game of Thrones that you do in a, in Eclipse. Is it just the base game, or is the expansion in the app too? 
it's just the base game, and I'm not sure you actually want to play the expansion. I, mean, I haven't heard good things about the expansion. I remember owning the expansion and not loving it. I think yet. it is like the version two of the game, though, where they had, because like I think famously when the game first released, there were some overpowered strategies where like Greyjoy could always knock Lannister out. Like there was a yeah, like internal move type of thing that's been addressed uh, now. But no, we had, a, we had a, a good time, and it was a lot of. You know, there's a lot of threats and whining, which is what you want from those <laughs> mm-hmm. kinds of games. A lot of sniveling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, I, I want to check that out. Anything else on your brain? Uh, the main thing on my brain this week is I'm like really getting a lot of work done on what I'm considering to be my next project, which is a game I'm calling Impact Earth, which I'm hoping to kind of do for the UN. There's a program called Impact 2030 that looks at sustainable development goals that different nations in the world can try to achieve by 2030. And and it's just a fantastic program. And I thought, hey, given the work I've done with uh, the Situation Room and kind of like building educational simulations, this should be something right up my alley of getting people to come in and play roles of different nations and people at the UN, you know, working together to address climate change and all these other sustainable development goals of what we need to do like as a planet in the next 30 years in order to, I don't know, avoid extinction. But so that's the game that's on my brain. I've been getting a lot of work done on that. Oh, that's fantastic. Is that something that would also be at like a a large installation kind of a thing? Or is that something that you can run? I think so. I think, I mean, it's, it's, if we're going to classify it, I would, it's, it's kind of like a mega game, you know, it would fall into that, but I would, you know, you'd, I'd want to design it so you can run it in the classroom, but also, you know, do it as a destination thing in some places. It falls in the same category as something like Model UN or uh, Boy State, Girl State, those type of big, th- you know, big, big games that people actually do some work for in order to play their roles, you mm. know. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I hope you yeah, keep us uh, updated on that. I'd really like to hear more about that cool. as it comes together. Um I uh, the only board game I played this week was Bonfire with Ben, um, and I I love Bonfire. I this is easily my second favorite Feld game I've ever played after wow. Castles of Burgundy. Um, wow. I really like it. I've played it. I've only played it once multiplayer with you, Ben, but I've played it probably ten times solo. And, and honestly, the solo is not wildly different in terms of the decisions you're making and stuff. Um, I really dig it. Yeah, I think I it's it super fun. Yeah, well, yeah. So you, I, I taught it to you, and we played it two player. What, what were your your initial thoughts? I, I thought it was super fun. I thought it was great. Um, uh, it's it's funny the rules. You know, when you when you sit and learn the rules, they seem a little uh, convoluted when you hear them. But the actual gameplay is very smooth um, and very interesting. And um, you know, as you explained the rules, I was like, how did this guy come up with this? Like these yeah. crazy systems. Um, and it's, it's just one of those games where everything you do, you have to consider about three or four things that it's going to affect. And then how is that going to interweave with maybe a plan that you want to do and what you're going to do in two or three steps, um, which is like my favorite thing. I, I just always love a chunky decision. And this is like that. This is a big chunky decision game. And I said to you, when we played, it sort of reminded me of form Trajanum, which also had mm-hmm. those similar, crazy oh yeah oh well let's definitely play that i think you'll really enjoy it same thing convoluted rule set um and then when you start to play it uh like the decisions just like break your brain i think bonfire actually felt a little um more streamlined i don't know there's something about form trajanum where people people have a hard time grokking those rules the first play but at the same time it's it's 
it's kind of it was like an, it's like an amazing fell that like looked like it was going to be the next big thing and then kind of yeah. didn't become the next big thing so who yeah. knows but yeah, yeah bonfire so, was great so trajan to me was like a collection of really cool mini games that sort of come together mm-hmm. and to me i feel like he found a way to take the fun of those mini games but make them all interlock perfectly yeah. like bonfire to me is like okay you have to learn all these separate things but you have the aha moment when you realize that they all completely rely on one another. And it's, it's this puzzle you have to figure out, but you can, you choose where you start the puzzle. Like, do you start it by building your paths? Do you start it by collecting your guardians? Do you start it by getting your engine going, by getting these rule breaking powers first, or do you start it by getting the tasks you need, but you know, you're collecting tasks you need, but you're not doing anything to fulfill those tasks. But so it's, it's really, I don't know. I think, I think it's a game everyone in our group needs to play that. I think it's definitely in, it it should, it's definitely a game that you can't talk about the best games of 2020, I think without having played bomb. Yeah, for sure. It was definitely one of my favorite games I played this year. Admittedly have not played a lot of games this year, but it was, it was super fun. And also, I really like the art. I think uh, you recently on a podcast talked or in person said that people are not digging the art in Bonfire. And I like the art quite it. a bit. I thought it was like oh, very moody and evocative. It was great. Yeah. Um, the other thing on my mind is High Frontier 4th Edition. That was finally delivered via Kickstarter this week. High Frontier from problematic designer Phil Eklund. Uh <laughs> This is uh, this is his magnum opus, as everyone always says. This is a game Tom Donnelly has been hyping for 10 years that no one in the world has ever wanted to play with him other than his son. Um, but I have always wanted to try it. And the fourth edition, which is called High Frontier for All, which is coming to retail soon, it's just delivering to Kickstarter backers now, is sort of the, you know, the ultimate version with all the edges sanded down there's even there's a family edition of the game which they say you can play with anybody and can be taught in 20 minutes which i think is probably just as silly and maybe not even worth trying but it comes with a you know a family version of high frontier then there's the sort of beginner's version of the game which is called race for glory and then there's the full game so they're they're definitely aware that it has a reputation of being impossible to to learn and play Um, and they're trying to put versions in the box that sort of teach you to play as you go. You start with the simple version, then move up to the sort of heavy Euro version and then move up to the full game. Mm. Full game is much like Twilight Imperium. It's a, it's a, it's a Saturday game. It is, this is a, you know, if everybody knows what they're doing, it's an eight hour game. Really? Um, and yeah, I haven't seen oh, that. Yeah. Well, I've played earlier versions. We've played them in a single night. It's more that oh, it's really? one of those long games where your game may come down. Like this was my objection to a single die roll of like, as I'm trying to land on a planet, <laughs> you know, and I should succeed on a one through four, you know, and I rolled a five. So you apparently know, that, a, lo- a lot of this version is about addressing some of those. Addressing like, chance in the game. Yeah, exactly. I will say that and- this, I think this is the prettiest, most beautiful game board of any game I've ever seen. Like I want to take that map and frame it and put it on a wall. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, so, so gorgeous. I, a part of the, a part of my wanting to buy it was my obsession with that board as well. That map, you can just stare at it for hours, right? One of the add-ons in the game was a, uh, a, a table mat as the game board. And the table mat is four feet by two and a half feet long. Um, it takes up an entire table uh oh sorry it's four feet by three feet i believe oh um it it looks like it looks like a comforter 
I mean, like it's it's laid out on my table right now, and it's I'm into that. It's two thirds of the table, and I have a giant board gaming table. Um, and I'm just going to leave it there and play other games on top of it because it's the coolest looking thing I own. Um, and then when you play the game, I think it will actually make the game a lot more enjoyable because the board that comes with it is kind of small for the amount of detail and things you need to be seeing on it. So it's like, I mean, it's literally three times the size of the board that comes in the board. Um, so anyway, yeah, I had that package come this week with two expansions that came with it. And there's, there's a ton to learn there, but I've been slowly making my way through it and, I have a uh, question. Yeah. Have Have you played Leaving Earth? No, I haven't. Mm-mm. Because uh, it's this. It's a game that I heard uh, was like like an amazing game, and then I saw it um, for sale somewhere, so I bought it. And it's in this like little, the game comes in this like little flimsy cardboard box. Like it's like it's like is this is this really a game or is this like a collection of like tchotchkes or something? But mm. it's um, but apparently it's very very similar to High Frontier in that it's both about like real life exploring space like like simulating simulating that etc and in fact to go back to solo gaming i did play it solo once and it was super fun as a solo game so i just was curious if, if you had played it if there was any sort of like compare and contrast you know perspective that you had on it. no but i remember people saying it was sort of like the you know the newbie version, the intro version not newbie mm-hmm. version but like the you know the, the the much more stripped down version of a similar theme yeah um, lastly, uh, there is a game called Babylonia that is barely out yet and not getting a lot of talk. It's from Reiner Knizia and I had noticed it cause, uh, a lot of reviewers had given it a stellar review and I'm not a huge Knizia guy. Like to me, they always feel like abstracts and I, I, mm-hmm. abstracts don't necessarily always make me excited. I enjoy Tigris and Euphrates. I think it's a really interesting design. I play it on my iPad sometimes. Um, but, uh, Dan Thuriot, the space Biff, who's a fantastic, uh, written, uh, word reviewer of board games. Um, he put a review of it this week saying it was in his belief, Reiner Knizia's masterpiece and the best thing he's ever designed. Then I was like, Oh, great. Now I, so I read the rule book <laughs> and I was like, I read the rule book and I was like, all right, this is awesome. And, and it literally is a game that you can teach someone, anyone, you could literally teach anybody this game in five minutes, but you instantly see that there's a ton of depth and it, it's an abstract. It's totally an abstract, but it seems really fun. And I'm actually, it's, I'm actually dying to play it with our group and it is, there is a, uh, a mod on TTS. And so hopefully we can get together and play, but yeah, it's a, and then I, I saw, um, Joel Eddie's review of it and he was like, oh my God, this game's incredible. So it's not like technically out in America yet. Like it has like. But you can buy it on Amazon. I, I don't know how somehow, but it's not. I guess it's not like the. I don't know. The release seems weird because it seems like it should be a big deal. Um, but anyway, I'm really excited for that. And lastly, I already said lastly, as we are recording this, I just got a UPS delivery message that my HP Reverb G2 virtual reality headset has been delivered. Um, so as soon as this is done, I'm plugging that in. And one of the first things I'm going to do is experience tabletop simulator and virtual reality because <laughs> I'm really excited to see what it feels like um, to virtually sit at a table and move pieces around. And that may be the way that I experience TTS from now on with you guys. <laughs> you know, my my I got a notification that my Barrage fifth player uh, oh, expansion is, is not necessarily on the way, but looming right like i got yeah. something from quartermaster general or whatever it's called <laughs> quartermaster logistics yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah i'm i i can't wait 
I can't wait well, to yeah, see the board. It's my and all replacement that. box. The entire box I had replaced because mine was in shambles when it was reviewed, when it was uh, uh, delivered, and my replacement dials. Yeah, and then also the just players. So yeah, that'll be fun. That's gonna be great. Absolutely. Um, all right, guys. Uh, let's get into our game review. This is Transcontinental, the 2021 release. There are 10 days left to go on BGG right for it right now. First time designer. You heard me right. First time designer, Glenn Dresser. First time artist. You heard me. First time artist, Glenn Dresser. Designed and art designed by the same person. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. That's amazing. Publisher is Wheelhouse Games. Uh, One to four players. They say 75 to 150 minutes with a BGG weight of 3.25. And from that, I'm going to hand it over to Ben and Trey as I have not played. I've only read the rules and I'm very excited to hear all of their thoughts on Transcontinental. Take it away, gentlemen. Well, the first thing I want to talk about was like we had a little debate, um, Matt, with you too about like wh- what game should we be reviewing for this show, and because like this game is a 2021 game, like and like the physical copies of this aren't going to be out till when like June of next year or something. Yeah, but with with COVID and like who honestly like I would add six months to anything, so I, I'm thinking 12 months minimum, maybe up to 18 months. Who knows if things go wrong. That's right. And so like, why are we reviewing this? And I, I think just like the reason we're reviewing this is because of COVID, like the way we're actually playing games right now is we're playing them online. And like this game is, uh, you know, ready to go right now. And frankly, with like the best tabletop simulator mod that I've ever seen by a long shot. So so just to the to people listening, like, yeah, it's going to be hard for you to get your hands on this game physically for a long time, but you can go and play it on Tabletop Simulator right now. And I think if you do, you're going to think pretty seriously about uh, backing it for the Kickstarter. Yeah, and I will just say for people who aren't familiar with Tabletop Simulator, it is it is a Steam app for, for PC or Mac. It's not free. Uh, it it can cost up to $30, but um, as of right now, there's a sale on it. I believe it's about half off. Yeah, it's half off right now, right? Um, and yeah, and then all mods for it are free. You have to be a little bit savvy to understand how the Steam Workshop works in order to figure it out, but I'm sure you could Google that. But yeah, if you get your hands on uh, Tabletop Simulator, you can play uh, this game for free right now. All right, so what this game is, is um, the transcontinental of the title refers to the transcontinental railroad that has bi- that is built from east to west across Canada. Um, and your role in this game is kind of like as a company or, or one of the you know powers behind building this railroad. Um, it is a worker placement game in that um, there are spaces on the map in which you place your tokens or workers. And this is one of those worker placement games. That's kind of like Zulkin where you, you place a marker, but you don't actually like trigger it until you remove it. And so there are various phases of this game in which you're, you're placing your, your worker, which in this game was called like a telegram, which holds your spot on in one of these worker uh, worker placement spaces. And then when you actually get to an action phase, um, it has a really interesting me- mechanism where this kind of like train is going down the track from east to west to the point in which the rail ends. 
And you're triggering as you go. If you pull off one of your workers, you only get three plus one possible bonus one every round. You're triggering a kind of like a couple of different provinces or areas that are on both like the north side of the map and on the south side of the the map. So you're in there kind of offset slightly so that each uh, worker that you place is triggering something on the top and the bottom, but you can't. But, you know, but each province can be accessed by two spaces. Uh, I know that kind of sounds uh, a little bit confusing, but you're developing the Canadian countryside as you move west and extend the rail all the way out to, I guess, what, Vancouver or the west coast of Canada. And so it does one of those things that they call it, I believe. Yeah. It does one of those things that good worker placement games do, which is that at the beginning of the game, you have kind of like a minimum minimum number of places where you can go. And then as the game expands, you get more and more options as you're kind of like ready to deal with them mentally. And also you can, you know, start to control some of these regions. So you get unique action spaces that you can, you can go to as you play. Um, So think of it that way. It's a worker placement game. And like the, it's it's unique in the sense that you're both expanding the space in which actions actions are placed. And another way that's interesting is you don't actually have a personal inventory in this game. It's not like when you grab three lumber, it goes like if you're playing Agricola and you got three wood, it would go into your personal inventory. Um, in this game, when you acquire three wood, it goes on the train. And like your access to resources is limited to by what the train can hold. And uh, so part of the thing that you're managing in this game is the limited capacity on the train to hold resources that you then use as the train travels back and forth across the countryside. Every one round in the game is the train moving west, extending the rail line, and then the train moving east back to the east coast. And then that's a one full round. And you probably play the game in like five, five or six rounds in the entire thing. But there's a this this kind of train mechanism of like what the train can hold and then how you expand that in the game is also like a very unique thing that I haven't seen before. And I and I really also kind of like like it. It's like you there is no exact permanent um there no personal inventory. It's more like a competitive shared inventory. So before we get into like the nitty gritty of how that works, because that inventory aspect of it, that train is such a unique and special thing. I kind of, I do want to have like a big drill down moment with that train mechanism. But before we go too deep into that, I just want to like take a bird's eye view of the theme and the art of this game before we really drill into how this game really works and like what makes it so interesting and fun and why we are like chomping at the bit to recommend it. Um, this game is beautiful. It has a beautiful, um, beautiful artwork. The board um, in, on the east, it's uh, it sort of like has these lush reds and orange tones, almost like a watercolor or oil painting look to it. Um, uh, it's just it's gorgeous to look at. Um, you know, the uh, I actually like the the art on the cards because there is some card play in the game. Uh, you can sort of get these allies that will help you do things on your on your action on your action turns. Um, so I think it looks beautiful, which is usually, you know, when, when you're dealing with trains in board games, you're not always going to get beauty. So I really like that. But the game is also, I find it to be deeply thematic. I feel like actually most of the actions that you do make sense on a thematic level. Everything, you know, um, 
uh, like there are areas on the board that um, that operate sort of like uh, the industries in brass. You know, with brass, you have like a, you you open up a factory, and then you've got to usually deliver goods to that factory to flip it over and quote unquote develop it or whatever or activate it. That's what we're doing in this in this area to, in this game too with all these different areas. And those spaces that you turn over and what they do, it all makes sense. Like as if you you bring a certain good, you bring some resources to a city and when you uh, to a potential city and when you activate it, when you develop it, it becomes a city. Now that city is going to be uh, churning out tourists that are excited to explore the countryside and now you have tourists and then but then that city also now needs food so you have to go gather food in the countryside on this train line and bring it to the city so it all makes sense and i i i don't always need my games to make thematic sense but when they do it's just kind of like yes yes i love that this is like working on that level yeah you feel like you're watching the country develop or at mm-hmm. least the narrative that's created here, you have this wonderful evolution from something kind of simple and basic that then grows in complexity uh, as you play. That's really that's really wonderful and thematic, and I agree with that. I'm not as as sold on the like ally artwork, but I agree with you. Like the board just makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not this is not a quick teach, but it is. Um, thematically like if you can understand what's ha- happening it explain you know the rules all make sense because the theme matches what it's trying to do so well yeah absolutely i as somebody who hasn't played it i adore the artwork and you know what i we, neither one of you mentioned because it doesn't exist yet but i love what the box is going to look like it is like this is the shape of a scrabble box so very long like it and mm-hmm. it really is evocative of a train track and that it's this very long board. The components are very unusual. It does feel like a first-time designer because this does not look like your typical board game. And I think if you pass this at a convention, you're going to stop because it's not going to look like anything else. I mean, there's this very long, thin board with all these action tiles above it and below it. And then these little tiny tiles making up the track as it goes. And then this other big, long tile above it with train track or train cars on it. I think it's really striking and the art is beautiful. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think they did. I mean, I can't believe that the person who designed it also did the art. That's mind blowing. There's also, there's a lot of thoughtfulness in the presentation. Um, the um, Glenn Dresser has been um, really, um, he's been really like, I don't know what the right word is. He's been really into responsive. making response. He was responsive on board game geek, but um, he put a lot of thought into the characters that are used on these ally cards, they they all have people on them and they're they're real life people. They are historical people. Um, we are also getting some representation. Um, we are seeing people of color on these cards that were like real people of color. You know, sometimes with some board games, it's the, there's a lot of whitewashing. We're seeing, you know, we're seeing uh, there's there's definitely an Asian uh, character. There's there's uh, there's a there's a black yeah. The allies uh, were a chance to get some real history and rich yeah into and, this game. And there's more ally cards to come, and it looks like there there is the potential for m- even more diversity, which I just think is great. I think it's great, you know, to to that we are, we are not getting just a whitewashed version of history, and and that he's put in that thought, and he has actually included little bios with everyone. It just it, it's 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 a it's a nice touch on an already excellent game. Do we want to talk about like the? Um... The game. The, the game itself. <laughs> the yeah. game itself, yes. One of the things that's going on, the railhead mechanism, which is where you, when as the train travels east, it's going to reach the end of the line. 
Mm-hmm. And then we're all going to secretly bid on our contribution towards extending that line. And then based upon how big of a contribution we made collectively, that will extend the line anywhere from no none at all to six or seven different uh, kind of like scoring tiles. Um, so you basically you make a contribution and that can be, you know, zero up to 10 or whatever as the game progresses and that you're actually helping to build the railing line, but it's a secret bid. And then whoever contributes the most kind of like gets their pick of the litter of the scoring tiles. And almost like half of the game is in like what kind of contribution you make to building the the train itself. But there's some really delicious decision space in how much do I contribute um, based upon what everyone else can contribute. Like I would really love Tom to play this game because Tom seems to always really excel at bidding type of yeah. games. And this, uh, this is one of those ones where you're going to kind of secretly decide how much you're contributing. And then everyone reveals, and there's plenty of moments of like, Oh man, I really overspent. I didn't have to spend nearly that much, or maybe I contributed a lot and it only benefited somebody else. And, uh, but at the same time, like it all makes its sense in retrospect. So there's a lot of almost kind of like iocane moments of like, well, of course, so and so could do this, but they don't. Maybe they don't have to because other people are only going to build less. And you you get into a really interesting headspace in terms of how you you bid when it comes to extending that that rail line, which is also the timer in the game. Yeah, when you complete the line, there's going to be like one little half turn uh, after that of kind of uh, final scoring, but like the quicker you, you build the line, the shorter the game is also, which is an interesting thing. Yeah. So I mean, can I, can yeah. I, can I jump in and just say, cause I, I feel like this will be a good bridge to the next segment of your conversation. Um, so I, I watched Rado's uh, playthrough of it and, and my, my reaction was that looks cool. That looks cool. Then I read the rule book and my reaction was, that sounds cool. It, I was surprised by how sort of basic it was. Like it, mm-hmm. it feels like, okay, there's, there's pretty basic worker placement. There's, there's an auction mechanism. Uh, the, the way that your resources are stored on the train and then you come out and sort of, you know, you're sort of area majority fighting for the developments. That's interesting. But if, if I didn't know you two, I don't know if I'd be backing it based on without having played it just just based on watching the media and reading the rule book. I think I would have gone. That looks okay. That looks like uh, a neat little it looks light. Honestly, that would have been my initial reaction was like this feels like maybe even like a low to medium weight game. So as somebody who hasn't played it, including all the listeners out there, tell me what makes it more than a sum of its parts and what it feels like to play. Well, I'm glad you asked that because um It's it's actually I think listed as a midweight game. I actually think this is a heavy game. I think this is a full on heavy game in a great way because um, every single thing you do in this game is creates a massive decision tree, and that does it, whatever you decide to do is going to impact everyone every single turn. Nothing can like almost there's almost no decision that can be made lightly. Whether you decide to contribute two resources to something or three can have a, a a huge fundamental impact on your game on everyone else's game and that consideration of what other people are doing and how um and how you have to cater to that or or deal with it or how you're going to affect someone is really where this game comes alive for me because there are just there are tons of rich decisions and it's basically the decisions 
um, really come down to, I think, how you want to place your telegrams and how you want to use your resources. So in terms of the telegrams, your workers, whatever, I mean, this, you know, trade described how there's like you, you put them down and then the train comes along and we resolve as we go along. Think of Kanban when you put your workers down on that track and then we reserve, resolve from left to right, you know, and a lot of times there are, there are timing issues you have to deal with, with, with your workers. So it's not just that you're going for a spot, but every action, almost every single action space on the board can be shared by two people. And you're either going to be the one who gets resolved first or the one who gets resolved second. And so you, there are chunky issues of, of just how you place your pawns. Like, Oh, I, I need to do this. It's more, it's, I have to get to that spot first. Cause if I don't get to that spot first, then Trey is going to go there and he's going to do something that like can only be done at that time. And I'm going to be left out of an amazing opportunity. But if I go second, not only do I get to activate this important spot that I need to do, but I also have access to another spot and which also is really important for something else. So now you are just in the simple act of placing your pawn. You are now thinking about five different things. Yeah. It, is- it reminds me of crystal palace in that sense where I, I read the, the, the rule book to crystal palace and was like, okay, seems pretty basic. And then Trey and Tom were like raving about it. And that's also a game I still haven't played that I'm dying to. That's just like, I'm just like, man, it must just have a total, it must just like really shine. Like, when when it's you're a actually comparison because it, it it does follow that same pattern of there's a, a phase in the game in which you are in crystal palace where you're placing your dice you're saying i'm going to go here but then you're competing over those various regions but you don't actually get the benefit until you like remove the die like you to then travel through the board and get things in a certain order there's kind of a two-stage system there that's here as as well i mean not not exactly the same but it's it's kind of a, it's a decent comparison um, what Ben was saying, like, I think, yes, simpler mechanisms, not simple, but simpler mechanisms that then, you know, provide for some very deep decisions. There's a lot of races. There's not aggression per se, but there's definitely a major, it can be very cutthroat in that, like, one of the things we haven't really covered here is, you know, part of what you're doing in developing the Canadian countryside is if you contribute significantly to the development of the countryside you in a sense get an ownership of that space and it can almost become like a private action space that only you and other people that help develop it um have access to, into the future then that can be a huge part of your engine building and there are opportunities for pe- to essentially like cheat people out of their contribution there that all comes down to timing so like i th- you know, that's a pretty good game for Paul on, on that level. Um, but so that's both the good and the bad about this game is that there are times where I'm going to take an action really quickly. Cause like the thing I was waiting for, it's still there when it gets to my turn and I move immediately next person go. And then there's other times where somebody does something right in front of you and you say, okay, guys, sorry, hold on. This is going to take a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you have to, to rethink everything, you know, and suddenly you're sitting there for, you know, 120 seconds, but like what the person does right in front of you can really radically change your decision space anytime. So like that can be great and very rich game experience, but it also means that some of your friends who may be more prone to AP are, are going to 
hit that wall of like, oh, there's so much going on and I can't narrow yeah. my decision to just, you know, do something. And like we played with Alfred um, and like Alfred tends to play very quickly. And like this is one of those games where at least on your initial few plays, <laughs> playing quickly is probably not going to be rewarded because there's just a lot to take in, which is, again, it's richness. But, you know, for some people, that's not going to be a positive. Yeah, there's there. Are, um, you know, a lot of times things will happen in this game where someone will put together an ingenious play that you didn't anticipate, or maybe they'll play a card that will give them some sort of advantage and something you were working towards gets closed down before you even get an opportunity to, to be involved with it. And when I say that, I'm talking usually about like developing one of these areas and you basically were planning to contribute the majority of resources to it to develop it so you can get your little house there. And then someone comes along and with some clever gameplay manages to like get their house and close down that spot before you even get a chance. And there will be players that are going to have a hard time with that in terms of um, they will... That that has the potential to be a a uh, a feel bad moment, right? Uh, that can that can hurt. And I and the second time we played that uh, this game, that happened a lot to me. But I think actually this is a credit to the game that I got angrier at the players than I did at the game. If that <laughs> makes sense. Like sure. there are games I play where I'm like, oh god, this game is ridiculous. But this time I was like, oh god, why would he do that to me? Which is a very important difference. And I wasn't mad. I I, I still wound up loving the game. But there will be some people who may, who may not feel that way. I actually think this is a game where there's there's so many opportunities to do things that when you get closed out of one thing, it almost always opens up something else for you to do. And so you just you know, if if you just have that mindset that I can just pivot to something else, I think you will be saved from getting really furious in those cutthroat moments. Um, uh, but I think that's one thing that's that's again that speaks to the decision tree that there are so many paths you can go down with every single action. And another thing, even with the worker placement, I don't know. Um, like I, I just want to emphasize that the way that the round works is that like you place every, you you place how many of your pawns you want to place, and then the train goes to the west and activates those pawns. We have this bidding thing that's in the middle of the round, by the way, and then the train turns around and then you can put more pawns down if you have any left over. So there's a whole you timing the option of not triggering your pawn as you could, the train passes exactly. it on the way west. And so sometimes you just lock down a space that other people can't take and you hold it for the entire round till the train comes back east. Like there's that's clever too. Sometimes. Yeah. And then it's also like maybe I don't put all my pawns down when this train is going west um, because everyone's going to put their pawns down. And then they then when the train goes east, the whole board opens up to me because there's, you know, they will be take they're they're gonna be taking their turns. So it's like, aha, I'm gonna I'm gonna get my advantages that way. And then maybe the train turns around and then the spot that I was going for, someone saw what I was doing and they said, you know what, I'm gonna hold tight and I'm gonna wait to activate on the eastbound side. And they're like, oh no, now I've like gambled and I've lost. So like just the the act of how you place these things, it's not just like, oh, I want to take that action or like, oh, which action should I take? It's like, how do I time and budget? my pawns over the course of these phases is like a really, really, really deep decision. And one that like, we're still learning. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like there's still a lot to be learned in terms of the timing of things. So like, for example, uh, originally when I played this game, I suspected that there was a first turn advantage. 
Yeah. There's no compensation for not going first on the first round. But the more I've played it, I kind of realized, oh, there's a lot of opportunities by seeing where other people are going and then reacting to that. Mm-hmm. That you know, once you understand, like you need to understand it a little bit better because you are. It is a worker placement game where it feels like, oh, all these resources are getting snapped up, and I'm last at the trough. But it also, like, the, the more you understand it, you realize, no, no, no. If other people, you can see where people are zigging, and then you can zag. You and really that, can. And that creates a lot of opportunities uh, and richness and, there. And um, the other thing is that um, with. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say something really awesome about the pawns and, and placing them. Um, just the the timing of it all. But I forgot what I forgot well, my really like, salient point. It was a really great point. <laughs> like my, how, my, how my, often my when we were playing, did it like I? It's very pleasurable to me when I place my pawn and immediately like you'll say, "Oh, you bastard!" All like, the like it's every single turn, and it's and it's funny. By the way, it's funny. Like and and let me tell you something. There was there was one game tray where what I exactly what I just was talking about where like you were set up to do something and I with the magic of card play or whatever I fully snaked a location from you and you busted out laughing and I was like Trey is laughing at something that I don't think this is in other games you would say well this game is flawed you were laughing and it was like funny it was like it was like a clever thing and you were like ah Ben that was clever there's like a lot of discussion here's what I was gonna say. So I just, a few seconds ago, I mentioned that like every area that you can develop can be accessed by two worker placement spots. That's sort of like the early and the late one, right? In the Kanban line. And then in turn, every worker placement spot, almost every single worker placement spot is attached to two different locations. It's sort of, when you look at the board, it'll make sense. But but what's really interesting in this game too, is that um, when we talk about developing locations, so again, we're delivering goods to a location and there's a minimum amount of goods that need to be delivered. And a lot of times you are calling upon other people to say, hey, uh, do you want to develop this with me? And so just on that level, it's like, we, it's always nice when you're collaborating with people, making deals at the table, right? So what's really funny about this game is you come together to like, yeah, yeah, let's do this. Let's build it. And you both you develop this location and you got these two houses and now there's this awesome, awesome action spot, with, you know, that like you've developed and now you guys are in competition to use it. And like the fact that like you are cooperating to like make this amazing spot and now you guys are enemies, right? Like that is brilliant to me. Can I, can I ask a few questions? Sure. Yes, please. Um, so my concerns would be with a first time designer after reading the rules, I would have concerns about um, the balance of the end game condition cards, those sort of secret uh, conditional cards, and also the balance of the allies cards with your limited plays. Can you guys speak to that? Yeah, um, I think I might have a little concern about the ally cards. Like they don't seem all completely equal, but I don't know enough yet. And they're definitely very different. And you definitely have to kind of like you pull these cards and then it's like, how can I make best use of my ally cards? And that's that's been fun. So whether it's completely balanced or not, I'm not sure I care. There's also, Uh, by the way, there's also a big asterisk with that, which is that the ally cards are still under development a little bit. And he's been really good actually about an unfinished game. Yeah. And the mod itself is also not. Uh, up to date with the cards because the decks are supposed to be of a certain size. I'm not going to get into the, the minutiae of it, but the decks are supposed to be of a certain size and they're not as big as they should be. And so as a result, there are parts where you're supposed to be drawing like a weaker card, but you wind up getting a stronger card. So the card play is 
like has like an element of wonk to it just because of the mod needs some adjustments that the designer has has admitted he said in december he's going to adjust it so i think the card play is strong uh the, the especially because there are three stacks of cards and like the farther west you go on the board the, the stronger the cards get when you pull from them but when you dedicate the cards are strong but you also have to dedicate a very precious action to take the strong cards and so I think the balance there is supposed to be like, yeah, it's a good card, but like you are really like, especially late in the game, you kind of can't give up anything and you have to give up as precious action. So I think I see balance in that. And in terms of end game scoring, end game is, is actually pretty mild. End game scoring is pretty, pretty mild, pretty minor. For a Euro game, game, it's not as heavy as, as what you would be Ooh. used to in a lot of other games. Okay. Yeah. It, I think the end game scoring is actually mainly there to guide your strategy in the beginning. I think it's mainly basically you get some points for where where you've developed your you built your houses and because every action spot has icons on it so you sort of want to collect three of like maybe three smokestack icons or three this icon that icon right, right. so it sort of helps you because the icons are not just put out there there's a actually- little bit of direction at the beginning which is kind of the point but it's a pretty low wouldn't you say it's a pretty low bar to yeah. achieve your- what percentage of your score is are those cards would you say um it's yeah, it's not a it's not a big thing, but you you do want to get them done because we've had games that have that have come down to only a few points. So like, you want to make sure you're on top of it. Um, another fun thing about the gameplay, and this is going to start to segue into the resource management aspect because there's a whole section that like we've I've I've been going on and on about the, the worker placement aspect of it, um, but there is a uh, there's a whole section that has to do with um, resource management. And this sort of segues into it, which is that there's also really fun opportunities for leeching into onto other p- players' moves. That's like really funny. Right. Like, you know, like like Trey, let's say Trey has set himself up to develop a, a city, and he has all the all these resources, and then I just like put my like one piece of wood in there, and then I like get myself a house too, and Trey's done all the work. Like that's like really funny when that happens, but it's also fun, and it means I have to be constantly thinking about what Trey's doing and what he, what his situation is because if I see him, he's going for an opportunity, I say, ooh, with minimal investment and uh, work, I could get involved with that too and get a huge payout, and I think that's great. You're right. You have a finite action economy, but the way that development actually works is that when someone is developing one of these Canadian regions, you are saying, okay, I am developing this region with wood or coal or iron. And then you identify a certain point in the train and you start contributing those resources to the development. And so if you were kind of like downstream on the the train, that's how you kind of leech on someone else's actions and so there's a lot of really smart play in terms of like just getting your resources on the train in certain spaces where you're like able to take advantage of other people's actions and it's both that it's finite but then there's a tremendous amount of kind of like uh your position on the train matters too yeah because i think trey you said it perfectly in one in one game when we played our resources on the train are in little queues, which is, by the way, thematic to the idea of we're playing a train game, right? Because often when we see a queue of things, we always call that in life like, oh, there's like a, it's like a little train. So our resources are are like their own little trains. And basically, you you uh, we, let's say we have uh, we're talking about wood. So let's say we got two wood cars on the train, 
And um, each wood car ha- can, can, can hold, I think, four or five, four, four pieces of wood. And whenever you gain resources, no matter how you load it onto the train, those resources go to the rightmost spot of, uh, on the train. And so you fill up from right to left. So when you fill, when you are on the train early, if you get your wood onto the train early, um, and you know, it's your wood because it's color, it's your color. Um, when you have, when you're on early, that's really good because you're guaranteeing that you have space, space on that train because space can run out for the wood on the train. So like, it's really important to do that. But then if you were that, but if you develop the way it works is, let's say I start with my first piece of wood. You go one at a time. You go, you go from the first piece of wood on the train all the way to the back of the train uh, of the, of the wood. And so I well, right, add, you choose where you start when you do development. You, you choose, choose, right. You choose, sorry, but like you, but wherever, from wherever you choose, you choose whichever piece of wood you want from the train of yours. But then we then go to the left. We just go to the back of the train. Like you want to put wood on there? You want to put wood? How about you? How about you? Oh, it's me again. I'm going to put another piece of wood on. And this is a way that like people can piggyback onto you. So like if you put your wood onto the train later, what's good is that that's giving you a good opportunity to uh, piggyback off of someone else. Cause if they start developing, then they're going to have to ask you, do you want to develop too? You want to come and join, but then you run the risk that there may not be room for you if you do it later. So then there's all sorts of timing and just how you gather your resources. Yeah. It just ends up being again, kind of like very rich in a way that would not necessarily be immediately apparent, Matt, if you were just reading the rule book of like the implications of this kind of shared resource space, which is the train, which is again is so thematic mm-hmm. that works so well. Should we talk about the the mod uh um, here? I actually just want to talk a little bit more about the train just because oh, I think it's Sorry, go for it. Sorry. I because I think the train is like actually the standout mechanism in the game. Mm-hmm. Because so like we talked about how there's these cues what happens also is if the train if the train fills up, let's say you gather some wood, but there's no more room on the train. One thing you can do is the the, the train cars are double sided, so one side is for wood, one side is for iron. Let's say, so let's say there's an empty iron car, and and where I need to gather some wood, so I just flip the iron car over to the wood side, and I can put more wood in there. Like that's cool, but then. I do that and Trey is waiting in line and he was just about to put some iron on the train and now there's no more iron car. So we have an interaction like that. It's like, oh my God. And then when there's no room on the train for your resource, what you do is you load your resource into what's called the yard, which is basically somewhere in Quebec. There's a train yard and you just basically load stuff on there and you have to wait for that train to basically do what's called a resupply, which happens usually when the train comes back to Quebec. And then that's a whole other thing. There's a whole other process where you have to look at like who has the most coal in the tender. And then if you have the most coal in the tender, then you can get a bunch of points by loading cars up. So yeah, I don't want to get into the nitty Yeah. Yeah. But it's this really brilliant mechanism to like add more cars to the train and you get points, but you're also giving people access to the resources they've been building up. So like, timing of those resources of when you get them in because you want them on the train you don't want them in the yard um but then if you put them in the yard like you don't want them in the yard unless you were planning to be the one that puts the stuff in the yard on the train because then you'll get a bunch of points um so you're thinking about all this stuff and then on top of that to circle back to that railhead phase where there's this there's a there's literally an auction basically in the middle of the round not even at the end like in the middle of the round so while you're doing 
all of this stuff, you have to be constantly thinking to yourself, how much do I hold back for this auction? Because there are major points to be had there. And so <laughs> it's like... The auction the, also creates space on the train. Which opens up more action spaces and also potential areas for your engine to explode. Can I can I ask you about the blind bidding? So I, I, I'm struggling to think of a game with blind bidding that I actually really like. Um, I, I often find it, it does sort of devolve into an Iocane situation of which then just sort of becomes a coin toss. Like, well, Paul thinks I'm going to put in two and therefore he's bidding one. So I should bid one, but then, oh, if he doesn't bid two, then I don't get the thing. Like, uh, just, just talk me through how that's not just randomness. I'd like to hear what Trey has to say, but I feel I'll say it much more articulately than I, I will. We just need to play it. I think the, it's not, it's certainly not random because we're we're all looking at the train and we know that the railhead um you know the contribution you, you can make to the railhead is could be in the form of wood or iron or navvies these are the three resources that you can use to extend the train and then every round there'll be one particular resource which is going to count double but in any case which it's key. Like, which is key but it also means like you can look at the train and this is all public information and see that, for example, okay, Ben's maximum contribution could be 10 this round and my maximum contribution could be seven. Somebody else's might be four. And then like maybe another player has nothing to contribute. So that actually has a huge implication in terms of like, uh, if like, for example, we score a bunch of tiles, somebody who made a large contribution can get two tiles and even theoretically, even three tiles. Um, but you're you're dealing with public information, Matt. So it's not there's no, it's not random in the sense of any kind of coin flips. It's more um, the person who has the most has the most control. And then the question is, you know, how little can I, you know, like what what can I contribute that's going to be like? Do I want to shoot shoot my wad now, or does it make sense for me to wait? And there was a, there's just a ton of times in this game where you kind of in, you're in anguish. Remember, Elder had a horrible moment of anguish. It was like, oh, I <laughs> yeah. can't believe I spent that one cube here because I needed it later on, and I forgot that I needed. So you know, you're fine. Well, that, that's a question. Like, how, how often in the game do you find that you, that after the blind bid auction, you overbid or you underbid uh, all the time, <laughs> all the time? But it's and delicious. That's, it's, it's I think it's hilarious. Yeah. It's it's a fun part. Like. And and you know what's also cool? I mean, the psychology of the of the, the bid is crazy because there was one game where we were playing where uh, Trey and uh, and Trey's friend Josh had like the same amount of goods on the train, and Josh was going to. They both knew that like if it came down to it, Josh was was going to win with a tiebreaker because being uh, farther ahead in turn order is the tiebreaker, and so Trey knew that he would never get first place on this auction and so he then um as the train was sort of like heading towards that railhead as the auction was looming trey was like well i know i'm not gonna come in first and i know i'm pretty much guaranteed second so why do i have to why do i have to keep all 10 of these resources so then he starts putting his resources into developments along the way and then josh is like wait a second like yeah i'll get these tiles but now trey is picking up all these points along the way with these developments i want to get involved in that too and then suddenly what seemed like it was like a fait accompli like like that this was going to be they were just going to blow out this this big game ending auction they were suddenly going nuts on these 
developments along the way, which then gave me an opportunity to then all of a sudden become very um, competitive in this auction. And like, again, like the fact that the game allowed that to happen, that it was, there was like a dynamic element, like what Trey did, Trey did something that Josh had to consider. Like he couldn't just, just sit there and be like, okay, I'll just keep on going. He, it was like really important for him to see what Trey was doing and, and think about it and see how it impacted his game and then, and move forward with it. And then as a result, what they were doing then made me have to reconsider everything I was doing when I realized I had a shot at this auction. Like stuff like that is really yeah, cool. To little me. things that other people are doing s- seems to have a big impact on your own game. So like mentally you're constantly attuned to the game, right? Like mm-hmm. even if you're not doing anything, what other people are, are doing should have a major impact on your calculations, which is like, that's, that's one of the real signs of a good game. In my opinion is you, if you can like walk away when it's not your turn and then come back when it is your turn, um, like that's a sign that I don't really want to play that game. Whereas if the situation's kind of like changing constantly and you're mentally staying alert and involved every single minute, which is what this game is, like that's the sign of a great game. Yeah. And you know, another thing we have completely not even discussed is that there actually is a variable setup with this game. Mm-hmm. All these action spaces that we talked about, um, there, there's like different, there's like four, three or three regions on the board. And within the regions, the action spaces get shuffled and put out. And the way that those action spaces get put out creates new game experiences it's still the same game it's still you feel like you're playing it's not like whoa it's a whole new game but it the, it can create synergies with the spaces that affects everything like if the card draw space is earlier on that train track we might have a heavier card game if you have there's an action called a portage or portage as we sometimes call it <laughs> which allows you to take things from the yard it's the only way you can get stuff out of the yard and uh, send them off to the board. And if you have an action spot that has two portages on it, that's incredibly powerful. So suddenly that becomes a, you know, becomes a premium spot. There's all that stuff. We haven't talked, we, we barely talked about the fact that there's this bonus pawn that you can play. You can sort of like get an extra action. So knowing like, oh, I have to do that double portage, for instance, or, but it's also really important for me to get that bonus pawn because I need to, it's, I, if I'm not getting my bonus pawn out, I'm having, I'm not having as many actions, you know, um, and where that sometimes you might have the first round, the bonus pawn isn't even available, you know, um, just how the board comes out and where things are really, uh, it actually affects things. And, uh, I like that it feels consequential. It's very consequential. Everything right. is consequential. So let's talk about, can we talk about the mod now? Yes. Yes. You talk about the mod. <laughs> Oh, just what for one thing like the it's it's easily the best mod i've ever seen on tabletop simulator but it also like i didn't even know the tabletop simulator was capable of the level of programming that has gone into this mod um both it's it's not just that some stuff is automated and it kind of has this amazing you know load at the beginning of the game where it does the random setup and it sets it all up for you it's that almost every single action or even thing you do in the game is automated in a certain way where it's keeping score for you it's spending goods for you it's 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 correctly orienting the goods on the train in the proper order it has almost like a heads-up display where it's tracking the various phases and so i think some people looking at this mod should just kind of like, wait, there's just a lot more engine in how you can build a game on tabletop simulator than I ever 
knew before. And um, like maybe I might say like as a criticism of the game, like this game without the mod would be really hard to play. Like this, I think when they, Online. the reason the Online. mod is so good is because it needs it. And like, I haven't played the game physically in person yet, but I suspect that the in-person game of this might feel a little more fiddly. Yeah. Because there's a certain amount of tracking that the game just does automatically for you here. That if you are actually like playing the game and constantly having to adjust, okay, the train just passed by the wood. So we're going to move it from one wood to two wood, you know, like in here, it just, it's all automated. And so there's just less bookkeeping. Yeah. And, and also like, again, with the resources, every time you take a resource off the train, everything slides to the right. So there could be situations where things, you know, like the, the, the mod takes care of all that stuff. And, and, and by the way, real quickly, I just want to say, as I said that I remembered just one little footnote about the railhead thing. Another reason why that railhead blind bit is so brilliant is that it's a way to clear the inventory off the train. So that way when it goes eastbound, there's all sorts of new opportunities for people to load up resources, which is really, really smart. Anyway, the mod. <laughs> no, that was pretty, that was pretty much it. Other than like a, it, it does, I think, open up the possibility of like, oh, we we could see some some really fantastic programming on future board game mods through Tabletop Simulator. I just had no idea it had that kind of uh, capacity. It was it's 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 a remarkable mod. It's unlike any other mod. We, we've seen mods that are really good that have good automation. This one is like takes it to the next level. It's just it's just a great example of a mod. Um, and it, I think it it sort of starts to take it to a board game arena place a little bit, almost. Um, it's 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 a great great mod. I will say there. I mean, this I'm game excited is, to try it in virtual reality. Yeah, there are some red <laughs> flags. I will say there's some red flags about the game. Not really red flags for me as much, but things that people should be aware of. Um, we talked about the cutthroat quality. How that could some people might get frustrated by that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have found that that. Um, especially for people who are new there, there sometimes seems to be some difficulty grokking some of the concepts. And when I say concepts, it's not even the rules. It's like the implications of what they do. Like elder had a moment um, in a game we just played where he had, um, he threw in a resource onto a city that he thought he would be able to, you know, he thought he'd be able to sort of sneak in and, and get a house on there. And then he got muscled out and, it's just that was a pure example of just he hasn't had as much experience with the game. And so like uh he didn't really see that that was something that could happen or or not that it could happen, but like it's it's just like it wasn't he didn't he didn't anticipate it. And and that could be frustrating for some people. And um and also like some people have a little bit of of trouble at first grokking how that train works with the resources. So there's like some even though the rules seem simple, there are some... It's um, not a quick teach. It's not a quick teach at all. That's surprising. From reading the rule book, I feel like I could teach it in 20 minutes. I don't know. You, it always feels that way when you start teaching it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but then you get yeah. into it and, it, and it, it does take longer. It's not a short game. Um, or at least... Yeah, what, we, what, what is the actual playtime? Well, on TTS. It's been like three and a half to four hours for us, right? Yeah, it, that's long. It, yeah. But it doesn't feel that way, though. Like I'm, I'm really involved yeah. the entire time. It does not feel long yeah. uh, at all. But then when you look at the clock and you're like, eh, I guess we really did take 45 minutes to an hour to teach it. And then, you know, <clears throat> you got going. Um, you know, it's a game that definitely benefits like a lot from uh, repeated plays. 
but it, it isn't quite as quick as you might think. But Ben, I, I, I think you would say like I've I've enjoyed every second I've of playing this game. So I've never it's never felt too long, even though objectively it's longer. It's a longer and, game. A lot of and things can change a lot in the game. Like you, there there are a lot of times where you feel like I am just out. There's no way I'm coming back. And then all of a sudden you realize oh, I could be doing this. Or someone does something and you realize I could take advantage of this. Someone pours a whole bunch of resources into the yard and then you realize if I put some coal into the tender, I could do a resupply and get myself 13 points in one fell swoop and a house and all that stuff. So there are always opportunities. I would say my actually my biggest issue with the game and it's like really, it's truly ultimately a quibble, but like that's how good this game is in my mind is the iconography I would like uh, two things, iconography and the color coding. I would like a little bit of a zhuzh on the iconography. Um, it's just sort of like small and and there's a certain action that comes onto the board after you develop. It's called a produce action. And the produce action can produce coal, it can produce wood or iron. So what you'll have is like a the produce icon and then sort of like a sub icon next to it. And the sub icon is really small. And it's not easy at a glance to really see where all the iron production is or where all the this production is. I wish I would like to maybe see like I don't yeah, know, be, like what an ENO tool, either a little bit larger or maybe like the use of like squares instead of circles for certain types of icons. I just feel like it needs the icons. If you look at them, they're like beautifully drawn and they're lovely, but I think they still need just like another pass to just for usability. Um, wrapping up, can I ask you guys to tell me if I'm, if I've, if I'm me or a listener who hasn't played this, but has maybe looked into it a little bit, if I like X, I will like this. Can you can you solve that equation? Yes, I think I can. Well, I was going to say, I think this, just for the context of the review here, like this is a question of personal preference. Like this game is squarely in Trey's wheelhouse of games that, that I like. You know, it's worker placement. If you like Uwe Rosenberg games, you, I think you will like this. If you like Barrage, um, you will you you will you will like this. Yes, a lot of similarities to Barrage in terms of interaction and like resource management. I feel like there's some Lahav mixed in this game with like the the same way that like in Lahav various buildings become personal action spaces that end up being kind of like the uh, the the provinces here. So if you like the heavier Euro worker placement, you know, resources, some engine building type of stuff. That's where we're in because like Ben and I are pretty evangelical about this game, but like I'm looking at the ratings on BGG and not everybody's giving it a, you know, a nine point something the way we are. So it's definitely possible that this can be a miss. And like this, you know, if, if you look at a, a game, that's going to be three and a half, four hours and say, Ooh, that's, that's just too long for me. Then this, this might not be the game for you. Yeah, I, I will say... Um, you think it would be even longer in person, right? You were saying TTS really speeds it up, you think? That's hard to say. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. And again, like we, everything has to be taken with a grain of salt because the cards are not finalized and that does actually have a pretty big impact on the game. Um, but, uh, but hopefully I, they won't get less balanced, right? <laughs> no, I, I don't think they will get less balanced. This, I mean, this designer seems really thoughtful. This game, by the way, also won, uh, an, I think, a Canadian board gaming award. I mean, it's already like... It already is like very well pedigree. It won a design competition yeah. and for best for best new game in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Um I you know it did re- it does remind me of Barrage in the sense that they're you're sort of building an infrastructure a little bit and like 
in Barrage, a lot of times what people do massively affects what what then you can do. Um, it's different from Barrage because the like the worker placement spots that you're taking are like they're on the board where you are that you're building. It's not like a separate worker placement board. So you're sort of like in the space that you're doing. It's more thematic than Barrage because again, it feels like the fact that this train is going to this countryside and it's stopping at your worker and your worker is a telegram. Like that makes sense. You're going to, you're saying, I have a telegram to send, you know, the train's going to stop to get this information to do these things. Like everything makes sense in it. Um, it reminds me of Barrage in that when you build with Barrage, your resources go into a wheel and you have to like time when you like, when you spend your resources, then when you're going to get them back, that's something you have to think about in Barrage. It's something you have to think about in this one. Uh, I think this is even more interactive than Barrage. Uh, and I, like I said before, it reminds me of brass in that you are, are sending things to an area. There is, there is light area control throughout the entire game. Um, I generally do not like area control. I don't mind it here. I think it's really fascinating here. Um, uh, the way the train works with how you develop. Again, another issue that we talked about, I, I talked about when you create that queue is that if someone puts their resources in after you and they decide to develop, they can decide that first that first resource they pull after your after your wood resources on that queue. So then they get to develop and then you get iced out. So there's a there's a risk of going on the front train for that. Like what a cool decision. Like it feels like every little thing in this game is a cool aha moment. And when we first played, we played Trey, Jesse and I played. And I just remember, it just felt like every 10 seconds I was going, oh my God, that's so cool. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Wow. I was just like- Yeah, it's my surprisingly was- rich every time. It's like you you kind of have an initial impression and then it ends up being richer than you have imagined in practice. Yeah. And, 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 there's, and like Trey said, there's still things that we really haven't even- jumped into we haven't really jumped into what would it be like if we went for like a really strong like eastbound strategy what would it be like if we if we really looked at like um uh, oh uh there's like a there's a national park down the line that wants tourists that would give us a lot of points if we can like develop a city to start getting tourists to then start working towards like building up a tourist supply to send to that city down the line there to get like lots of points like I, it's like we can't even really describe it. It's just it's, it's it's. There's a lot to explore, but like in a sense, like I think this game, like uh, Agricola, was like my game for years and years and years. But in Agricola, you might still say, in this game, I pursued a livestock strategy, or you know, in this game, I did a lot of you know grain and vegetables, or I I raced to a stone house. That's kind of is indicative of almost like an independent individual strategy that I pursued. I don't think this game is capable of that kind of this game. I did. I pursued this kind of like individual strategy. You're too interconnected with the other players and what's going on. And so that it's much more of a, I'm constantly reacting to the zigs that ever the people are doing. And when can I be rewarded for zagging? So it's much more interconnected than even a game like, yeah, to me, than a, than a game like Agricola, which I, yeah, adore, but like I think you know you will have some people roll their eyes and complain that Agricola is multiplayer solitaire, much less so than a lot of other games that I think they like have come out in recent years. But um, 
but the level of interactivity here throughout the various phases of the game is incredibly high. And that's going to make it to me very replayable. And I also find myself, uh, Ben, like when we've played the game, like we're thinking about, ooh, I'd really like to play with, you know, I, I want to see how Tom engages on this bidding mechanism. Mm-hmm. Like this may not exactly be Matt's thing, but like I, I, I think he would enjoy this. Like I'm curious to see how other people would approach it. Like I want Paul to yeah. play this some more because like, I feel like the game could get even more aggressive with the right people. Paul right? is very aggressive. And, and um, the, the, they're just, <laughs> it's just, it's, it, it really is mind boggling. I, I do think that there's so many rich, rich choices in it. You can have, you can have, you can have strategy in the game for sure. I agree. It's not like you say, Oh, I'm doing the clay strategy or whatever it is. Um, but what you can do is you can say the game that I did the best with was one where I said, okay, I developed I developed this lumber yard or whatever it was, and now I have access to lots of lumber. So I am going to create synergy between here and here. And this is what I'm going to work with right now. Because right. it can get very distracting because, because you can leech onto everyone else's actions so much. And you can say, well, do I want to contribute like one piece of iron towards that? And that way I can get a house over there. Yeah, that would be cool. And you do that, but it actually dilutes your focus. And so you get some easy points but you're not really focusing on like you have to be like really smart There's where you're a lot of trade-offs, that's, a lot of trade-offs. Yeah, that's one thing I've learned. Like in the first game, I just developed wherever I could. And then but when you get to the late stage of the game, when you sort of develop wherever you can, you just sort of don't have a lot of stuff to work with. But if you just like say, This is what like, okay, I've developed this, I need to do this, and then you could sort of like, and then you just sort of it's like a kindling, and then you just sort of like let it. You sort of like all of a sudden you're just like spewing out resources wherever you in, in this little mm-hmm. engine that you've created. So you do have strategy. I don't think it's always apparent where the strategy is, um, but you can have strategy. But it can be hard too, though, because people can derail, no pun intended, your strategy very easily. Well, I, I think we've given people yep. definitely enough to make a decision at this point. And and, and look, we we don't we don't want to become a Kickstarter podcast, no. but but this one felt different to me. The way you guys were talking about it, the amount of hype you had for it, the fact that it's a first time designer, the fact that it wasn't, you know, raking in millions on Kickstarter at the moment, it it felt like the right thing to talk about. Um, And it just, it was, uh, it happened naturally. We were supposed to do a different episode this week reviewing a a different game and it didn't happen. And it was like, you know what, there's 10 days left on this. Let's let's break our Kickstarter rule and talk about this. And I'm really glad we did because I, I yeah. this does seem it, it's rare I hear you guys be so effusive about a game. Yeah, thank um, you for giving it this opportunity because I think this is an important game. I think this is this yeah, was like bar it. none the best gaming experience I've had all year. Probably the best game Great. I've played since Barrage, like without a question. Great. And um, uh, I I I think people should play it. I think people I think I think this by and large people would really love this game. If not, well, Trey and I will love it. But and if you're listening to this, the you know the week that the podcast is releasing, you have a week to play it and check it out before you back it. As Absolutely, well. play it and uh, and again, like like do know that it's going to take some time to play. But um, I you know I hope that I hope that people really enjoy it too. And and by the way, I we have to give a thanks to the Facebook group because it was because of someone on on the Game Brain Facebook group who posted about this and said, "Hey, I just looked at the Rado run through and this looks like an insta back for me." So I was like, "Oh." Let's see what that's all about. And then I looked at the router run through. I was like, that does look pretty amazing. So then I insta backed it. 
And yeah. like, if it weren't for that, now you've infected it, Trey. Yeah. Now, and then you infected me and now we're infecting 3000 listeners. Paul also thought it was, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for him, but he also said that he also really enjoyed it. Alfred really enjoyed it, but he did, he did mention that there was a point where he was able to get up and walk away for 30 minutes because he didn't place anything like eastbound. So he had no actions. Uh, so that's notable that that actually can happen. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, it also, by the way, the game is one, another one that benefits where everyone is sort of at the same experience level. Cause if one person, right. sure, you know, sure. like, like barrage, yeah. yeah, like, like many games, um, because it's when, a skillful game, it just not, not that like, Oh, someone who's less experienced won't have as much fun, but what could happen is they may not recognize certain, um, plays that would be essential. And then it'll, it creates sort of like a, a, a little bit of an imbalance where someone can then do a major point grab without sure, having sure. the check that this would normally be there. All right, let's jump into our game, Somalier. You guys ready for that? Yeah. Let's do it. Sometimes a player just got to know which game yeah, That's stay. enough of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All righty then. Uh, this is a message from Chris Taylor. I'd love to get into 18xx games, but I very rarely play with large groups. I pretty much exclusively play two-player games with my partner. Can you recommend any 18xx games that work and are actually good, in quotes, at two-player? Or are 18xx games just not worth the effort if only two players are involved? Cheers, Chris from West Yorkshire, UK. Open invitation to Tom to attempt the Yorkshire accent. No. Bonus points available for not making it sound Irish. Yeah. Uh, I purposely read this email so that we don't. Oh, know that. perfect. Uh, ben, you're you're more of the 18xx player than Trey. What uh, any thoughts on a two player 18xx? You know what? My experience is very limited. Um, I have been loving 18 Chesapeake. That's probably my number two game of yeah. the year. And uh, but I haven't played a two player. However. I infected my friends John and Stacy with with 18 Chess of Big Love, and they are a couple, and they apparently have played it two players many times, and they have reported that they have enjoyed the two-player implementation. And you know what? The best part is it's online, so you can go to 18xx.games and try it for two, two players, see how you like it, and then you'll know if you want to buy it. Yeah, I think 1862 I've heard is not horrible at two. 18 Chesapeake is definitely like one of the ones that people talk about it too. Um, 18 CZ, which is, I guess, is the Czech 18 XX game I hear is okay at two. Um, yeah, it's not definitely like, uh, and I mean, you know, I, I, I don't think you want to play 1830, but I, maybe 1889 is not horrible at two. Um, again, it's, it wouldn't be my go-to choice for it, but I, I would try out 18 Chesapeake and see, especially if you're new to 18 XX, that's where you want to start anyway. Um, Last question we have here is from Chris Paternostro. I'm out of phase, so I just listened to your episode discussing the joys of Scrabble. Hearing your adoration of this antique game triggered my PTSD about my spelling skills. For years, I've been reluctant to play and mostly avoided the punishing this punishing game. I have a good vocabulary, but without the red line that spell checks my writing or dictionary at my disposal, my writing is ridiculous to read. My friends like word games, and I can't put them off any longer. Are there modern word games that I can buy them for Christmas that will satisfy their word game desires, yet will allow me to try out this category of games? I'm looking at paperback, but I fear I will still need to know when E goes before I, as if that makes a difference in the word's pronunciation. Thanks, Chris. Anybody got any uh, expertise in the word game arena? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think it, Decrypto, it's like, it begins and ends with Decrypto. That is, that is my favorite word game. You don't have to worry about spelling. 
that's all about the meaning of words in a sense and like word play. Uh, it is, I'm not going to go into how it's played because it's, it's actually kind of like, it's oddly confusing to say how it plays, but it's like, it takes sort of takes the code names, uh, thing and takes it to another level. And I feel like once you go to decrypto, you just can't go back to code names. And so, uh, you don't have to spell. I actually don't like paperback. I feel like it stays way too long past its welcome. And that's from someone who loves a long game. Um, and that's also a spelling game. So, a hundred percent to crypto. Uh, have you played paperback? I know that's a, your friend, Tim flowers game, Trey. Tim flowers. Yeah. Tim flowers. Sorry. No, I was, I was going to encourage, uh, Chris here to actually stick it out with paperback just because it's not if, the way I remember it. It's like, it's much more enginey and like, there's a lot of scoring that can go into it. So you might try sticking it out, but I actually, I like the direction Ben was going because it sounds like, Hey, let's recommend games that are going to be fun. That might satisfy, satisfy this itch without like literally being spelling games. So, I mean, I just, so it has been if, I assume you've already played code names with this group. If you haven't played code names, yeah, go do that. That's a starter, yeah, for sure. And even code name pictures will get around the the, the words completely. I I would recommend just one. I was it's not my next thing. Mm-hmm. Technically a word game, but just one is my favorite party game. You will have to spell words, but it doesn't matter if you spell them correctly. It's actually probably better if you spell them phonetically, right? Because um, you want to make sure the person gets the word you're trying to tell them about. Right. Um, the goal yeah, is to yeah, have fun. <laughs> yeah, but it, absolutely. It's a, and, yeah, yeah, it's and, and it's literally just one word. You just have to spell mm-hmm. one word every time. And you're trying to get the person to say the word that you're not writing. Yeah, but if you do have if you do have uh, insecurities, uh, I know some people do are you know if they're sure. not great spellers. Like, by the way, I've become a terrible speller. <laughs> I can't spell any words anymore. But um, uh, some people are do do have insecurities and don't necessarily want a game where they want to like write down a word and have it truly on display. So uh, I I I 100 agree with you. I think it's. Just one is just an absolutely fantastic game, um, but if you if you are if you don't even want people to see how you spell things, I think Decrypto or Code Names are are a really good a path to go. Yeah, I too, I'm a, I'm not a speller, and I don't enjoy those games. And Jenny is like Jenny loves Scrabble, and so I've played Bananagrams mm. and Wordsy and Paperback, and uh, you know those are all those are all good, but they're never going to be my thing but i i'm sympathetic to this kind of uh what chris is expressing here but like you have certain friends that want to play certain games and it's not really your bag and you're trying to find kind of like a compromised game and that's tough uh, and yeah and i don't know if this counts as a word game it's sort of word game adjacent but it's a fun one and by the way my boyfriend doesn't really play games a lot but he loves word games so uh i speak with the experience that these are word games that my bro- my, my boyfriend really loves uh and uh this is sort of word game adjacent but it, it does involve words and meaning of words but medium is like a really uh fun mm. board game activity thing and have you guys played medium before no. i haven't nope it's this game where basically everyone has like some hands of cards has a hand of cards and like uh uh you basically turn to the person to your left uh like if it's me i turn to the person to my left and i play a card and then they play a card so it's two words right so let's say it's like your word is tiger and mine is cartoon let's say and so then we sort of have to look into each other's eyes and then like we say like ready go and we both have to blurt out a word that is kind of like between the two of those so cartoon tiger maybe maybe we both say trigger right triggers from winnie the pooh right so um tigger. if we 
Tigger. <laughs> or you could take so, Tony or something. You know? Right. Well, so let's say let's say if we both say Tigger, then yeah, we get like five points. But let's say I say Tigger and he says Tony. So now we have to go round two. And now we have to find the common word between Tony and Tigger. <laughs> and you sort of do that and like you get to do that three times. If after three times you're at you're it's done. And then it moves on to the whoever you're working with, and they turn to the person on their left. But it's like a fun, mm-hmm. it's a really fun game of just like word association. Um, so it is word word like um and you just play it and it's one of those games you just play it until you all decide like okay i don't want to play anymore <laughs> but it's know? one of those good games where you're like you have to get into the other person's head mm-hmm. like there's a lot of games that we like now where it's it's where we play certain games and it's like i'm not thinking of the best answer here i'm thinking of what dimitri's going to say mm-hmm. you know and like i think there's always something fun about placing having to think about what how someone else is thinking you know that ends up being very socially interesting mm-hmm well, gentlemen, we made it to the end of our extra turn episode. Thank you so much for joining me for this impromptu last minute. Hey, let's jump on and talk about a game you guys are thinking about a lot. Um, hopefully it was enjoyable to our listeners. I, I definitely look, I already backed it because that's how much respect I have for both of you. And when both of you tell me this is your favorite game of next year, uh, I, I take that quite seriously. So, um, I hope people listening to this got uh, got some useful information. I, I know we have a lot of heavy Euro listeners out there, so um, this felt necessary. An emergency episode, if you will. <laughs> emergency. <laughs> I'm really glad you gave it this. This I really, really am because I just um, no, me too. This I, was kismet. This worked out. It's like you just know. You, you know, like when you play a game, you're like, "That was so much fun." But then, you, but when the, you play a game, you say, "Oh wow, this is like." Oh yeah. This is this is ne- this is on a different level. This is that was the, this experience for me. It's also, yeah, right. well, it's, what you, hope- it's what you want to do. It's what I want to do on this podcast is when you can like bring attention to something that other people are really going to like. Like I don't I don't want, like to do bad reviews of games. Like that's not something that's especially fun to any of us, I suspect. And so here's a case where like it's the most fun part of being a reviewer is just saying, "Look at this great thing. People should check it out." You know, and that's what we have here. Awesome. All right. Well, a happy and healthy and socially distanced Thanksgiving week to everybody listening in America and a happy just random November week to everyone else in the world. Um, You can find us on our Facebook group. I do hope you join our Facebook group. It is a super positive, inclusive, and joyful place to uh, espouse your love for board games. Uh, We have a YouTube channel as well where you can find all of our reviews and segments in nice bite-size listening and watching I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. So that's youtube.com. Yes, thank you, Marcel's. YouTube.com backslash C or forward slash C forward slash Game Brain Pod. And you've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You might know him as Alfred on the show. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com. Twitter, GameBrain underscore pod. Instagram, GameBrainPod. Thanks for listening and go play some games with friends online or virtually make some friends with games. Thank you, Trey and Ben. 